Welcome everyone. You're listening to The River Podcast, where you can find messages to help you strengthen your walk with Christ and refresh your soul. Here's our message from this past week. Man, I hope you are excited to be in the house of God this morning. Um, every, well, not morning, it's evening, but um, I am definitely. Um, this evening, I just, I just need you guys to, to completely uh, be in the presence. Um, we, we do these games um, because we want to loosen up the atmosphere, that we don't have to be stiff and all that. But in this moment, let's get in the presence. Let's really get in the presence of God and, um, and receive. Uh, the, as I was, you know, preparing this word, for me, it was, uh, it's not a hard word at all. It's just a word where I feel it's necessary for the church to hear. And um, I, I just hope that um, it comes off well. And that's, that's all my heart, that it comes off well. But I'm praying as I preach this. Amen. So I hope that you guys will pray with me. So if you have your Bibles this evening, go ahead and turn with me to Acts chapter 4, verses 32. And we're going to read to verse 35. My notes are tiny this morning. I keep saying this morning. I just woke up, apparently, this evening. Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 35. I'm reading from the NASB. It says, And the congregation of those who believed... We're of one heart, everybody say one heart, and soul. And not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own. But all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet. And they would, they would be distributed to each as any had need. The title of the message today, I'm going to preach from this, title, um, this message entitled, The Power of One. Come on. The Power of One. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, Lord, for your presence in this place. I, pre- I pray for each individual heart and mind that we would receive from you, Lord God, that you would speak today. And I pray that, again, you would open up the windows of heaven and rain down fundamental peace and understanding to us as we come before you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say, amen. amen. The power of one. When, when we read this, this is just a picture of the early church. This is when Jesus was crucified on a cross and then he went to, the, um, to, went to the grave. He resurrected again. He spent time with his disciples. A lot of people walked around, and they saw Jesus, who was just crucified, walking. Some were amazed. Others turned into evangelists. They went out and told nation, um, just other people about what they saw. And it was an amazing time. I could imagine if I was in that time, I would be very excited also, because the death of Jesus Christ was something that was completely tormenting for a lot of people. In fact, if you think about that moment, three days ago when Jesus got crucified, two men were walking on the way to Emmaus, and Jesus himself resurrected, started walking with them. And they said, he asked them, what's wrong? Why are you guys talking about these things? What are you guys talking about? And the two men said, we're talking about the man Jesus who was crucified three days ago. Have, are you like the only person in Jerusalem who have not heard about these things? That's what they told him. 
And then they said, we thought he was going to be the Messiah. We thought he was going to be the one that was to deliver Israel, but now he's gone. So you could see the gloom in the city where people were, were hoping that Jesus would have been the Savior. And then he comes out of the blue, and he's, he walks with them seven miles, and he begins to teach them from the prophets all the way up to this moment where he said, all the prophets spoke about me, and they mentioned that I was going to die and this was going to happen. And then all of a sudden, he left, and then they looked at each other and said, man, did our hearts not burn within us when he was speaking to us? And they realized that this was Jesus resurrected. And what these two men did, they went out and told everyone as everyone else did. So this was an exciting time for, for the apostles. This was an exciting time for Jerusalem. It was an exciting time for everyone who knew what this moment meant. And so we saw the church in this moment was very mobilized. It was some excitement. I'm talking about people went out and they were selling their possessions. They, I mean, people who had property sold their houses and they laid them down at the apostles' feet. They were feeding each other. They were connecting with each other. They were plugging in with one another. In fact, the, the Bible says that uh, many people who were racist at that time were no longer racist because they were not having church with, with all types of different, you know, nationalities and backgrounds. And all these differences were set aside just for a moment that everyone would teach people about the word of God. And everyone would honor and see who this Jesus was. In other words, Jesus, his resurrection brought people together. And so when I look at the church today, I find that it's not much different than how the church looked back then. And... If you look at the church back then, there was, a, there was a lot of movement. And I believe that there's a lot of movement in the church today also. And what we see how the church looked back then is that people sold their possessions. In fact, they had possessions. Today we have possessions, right? That's not much different. We have poor people in the church, rich people in the church. It looks the same. And then we have people who actually give into other people's bosom or in their hands. If you have something, I would like, if I, if I had a need, I would like to think that you would be coming to me and, and helping me with my needs. I see that all the time. I mean, we don't sell our possessions and give the money, but we give the money. And we don't look much different than the early church. I mean, when they were meeting, they actually didn't have a place to meet in the early church. In fact, the Bible said that they were meeting in the temple courts outside. And then every day they were meeting each other in their houses. That's how they were having church, right? And they were so hungry for more, so hungry for the word of God that they were willing to do anything. And that's what it looked like. It was a powerful movement of what God was doing. And if I could be honest, I don't think the church looks that much different because we still meet in houses today when we have small group. And that's a great thing. This is our identity. This is who the church is. And it's a beautiful thing. But yet there is one thing that I find different. And that's how they looked like one where today we look like denominations. And when I look at this early church, I see that this, this oneness or this unit that this, this church was moving in invited something that I hardly see today. And that oneness invited what's called the power of God. And so what I'm saying this, this evening is that in this unity, when you become one mind and one accord with each other and with other people in your congregation, when I say congregation, I mean, you know, getting together, not different denominations. But when we get together and we have one mind and one accord in the mind of Christ, I will guarantee you that you will see the power of God move. Yes. 
when we set aside our differences and become one. And so when I look at this passage, it says in verse 32 that, and the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to all of them. Do you remember when the church started and Paul and Barnabas started doing ministry together? And there was a brother, I think it was John or Mark or somebody, who, who kind of like escaped. He didn't want to get persecuted, so he kind of like fleed. And then Paul came and said, what's this dude doing here? He's a coward. He shouldn't be going to the next trip with us because he's a coward. Barnabas was like, no, nah, he's coming with us because that's my cuz. He said, that's my cousin. He's coming with us. And then Paul was like, well, suit yourself. You go that way and we'll go this way. And that was the first church split. But if you even notice in the first church split, it wasn't like you create your denomination and your beliefs and I create mine. No, it was you go preach the gospel this way, same one, and we go preach the gospel this way. And we will still be one no matter what happens. We might have differences, but we still are preaching the same message. And there was a story of a man in California. Um, before I get there, read the last little portion here. It says here, not one of them claimed that anything belonging to them was his own. And so the, the first point I want to bring up to you is that when we are one, we are not our own. Amen? If we were truly one, one church, one unit, one body, you can't claim that you are your own. You, your priorities are now laid to the side for the unit, for the, for, the, for the entire group, right? That's more important than what I have to do. So when you are one, you are not your own. This man in California was living in, I believe it was Compton, California. And at the time, it was a very, very, you know, rough neighborhood. And there were gangs raiding the streets at all times. Everyone would lock their doors. In fact, you'd have like three or four or five locks, like where I grew up in New York, at your door. This man came into the neighborhood and decided to do something a little bit different. He wanted to operate differently. What he did was he started planting edible food in his front yard and in his backyard. And every day fruit would grow and he would gather it and put it in his fridge. He had a TV, he had a couch, he had a bed, he had everything that any one of us in here would have in their house. The only difference is he left his door unlocked and wide open. And he would walk out, go to work, his door would be wide open, and he would come back. And when he'd see guys in the streets, gangs, members, and all these guys, he'd say, hey, guys, my door's wide open. If you need anything in my house, go on and get something. If you borrow something, just go ahead and put it back. And... When they were interviewing him, they said, we got a question for you. This, this is strange. They said, aren't you afraid of someone stealing from you? And he said, how can they steal what's theirs? Think about that. How can they steal what belongs to them? I just told them that if, if you need something, it's yours. What's mine is yours. How can they steal something that belongs to them? And this was a great model because it showed a lot of success. No one ever stole from him. When they came into his house, they'd call him and say, hey, I took something. They would leave a note and say, hey, I got some food from the fridge or I borrowed this and I'll just put it back tomorrow. And everyone really respected him this way. And this was an amazing thing because this reminds me of what this early church looked like. It says that no one claimed that whatever was theirs was actually theirs. It was for the entire group. 
And so in this early church, you could not steal from me because whatever is mine belongs to you. Today, it's hard to have a brother say, hey, can I borrow your car? Mm -mm, you ain't driving my car, <laughs> right? That's mine. It belongs to me. It's all about self. And, and, and there is a struggle with this idea of being one also. And the biggest struggle with the idea of being one is a thing called pride. And, and we're taught at an early age to have pride. Pride about everything that we have, everything that we own. And, and it's becoming, it's good in a sense to have pride about who you are. But then pride about what you have is a different, is, is a different thing. And so when Jenny and I got married, um, there was a sense of that in our marriage. It's hard to, to think of this oneness. I, I'm so used to living by myself. A lot of you married, married people would know this. She's so used to living by herself, and it was kind of hard to get this whole one thing, that everything is ours. It was, it's a hard thing. We'll wait till you guys get married. You'll, you'll figure it out. I remember when we moved in, we said, you know what? Whenever we go into our new apartment, babe, what we're going to do is we're going to buy everything that's new. We're not going to come in with anything we had in our parents' house. We're just going to come in with everything new. She said, I'm with it. So we bought new furniture. We bought a new TV. We bought new bed. We bought a new, like, everything was new. And we were happy with everything that we had. And it was amazing. It was great for a while. She would often take trips to Miami, to her mom's house, and then she would come back. Sometimes she came back, back empty-handed, but other times she came back with a little something-something, right? And, and one day I, I, I come into the house and I see something new. I'm like, what is this? What, like, when, when did we buy this? She said, oh, I bought it from Miami. Oh, it's like that. And so I was like, all right, so cool. So next time I went to my parents' house, I ended up seeing these two, uh, what, what were they, thermoses? These, these big thermoses that I had. I never used them. They were practically new, but I had them for like years. And I saw these thermoses just laying there. And so something turned on inside me, like, like I missed those thermoses. <laughs> so I grabbed both of them, and I took them home, put them in a cabinet. She opened it one day. She was like, what are these? I was like, oh, these are thermoses from my, my mom's house. These are mine. Like, it was at my mom's house. She goes, we didn't buy these. I was like, oh, I know. <laughs> and then I said, well, you have this. Can I have that? She said, okay. But for months at a time, I never touched them. I never used them. But what happened was something turned on. When I saw it, I desired it. Like, I forgot I even had them. I forgot they existed. But for some reason... When I saw it, I desired it. And sometimes you just have to turn your eyes from what you don't need. Many of us put ourselves in positions where we allow our eyes to focus on things that we really don't need. And honestly, you don't even know that you need it until you see it. And it becomes a problem in your life. And even in this Christian walk that we, we walk, we, we see that that's a problem because we put ourselves in positions to fail don't we? And we forget about this whole church one thing, and we go do our own life thing, and we put ourselves in positions where we see things we don't need, and you find yourself struggling between the world and the church. But if you really want to live out this, this unity thing that God is talking about in this church and see power in it, you have to forget that life. You have to forget those things that mean nothing to you. You know what Job said? Job said that I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at young women. A covenant with my eyes not to look upon those things that I don't need. And this is something that we might need to do today in order to actually get our minds 
in a place where we can actually live out this unity and this oneness that God is calling us to live out. It's hard for us to part ways with the things that we once owned. But God calls us to new things. Come on. God says, I, I, I make all things new. And a lot of us, even when we pray, we think that God is some mechanic that fixes our problems. I'm telling you, God is not a mechanic. He is a manufacturer. He creates new things. He makes things new. He's not looking to repair you. He's looking to restore you, make you new. And if we understand this, we'll start to see that God is not looking to tweak my past to become a Christian. He's looking to make me put away the old man, put him to death, and that I would become new in Jesus. And if we don't get that concept, we'll miss out on what God is trying to do. We'll miss out on the power that he's trying to bring into your life. I have so many people as a pastor come up to me and say, Pastor, I keep struggling with this, this one thing over and over and over and over and over again. And it just can't seem to let me go. And the, the first question I'll have to ask you is, what are you looking at? Where are you going? Where, where are you positioning yourself to be? Is it in this unit that God called you to, or are you double dipping in both sides, right? So we have to really start thinking about that. But when we get saved and don't understand this, this whole kingdom unity idea, we can carry this, this, this old mentality of me first. Me first and then the unit. Me first and then the kingdom. Me first and then the church. Me first and then the congregation. But if you look at the life of these people, there was no one saying me first. They were always saying, you first. You first. I, I, I believe in you. You can do it. You, you, there is hope for you. Do you need something? I got you. It was this idea of I'm putting myself behind so I could help everybody that I see. And if we move that way, I'm telling you, you will see the power and the glory of God flow. Hallelujah. See, the way that God works with himself in relation as a trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is the way he actually expects us to move as a church. If, if you notice that the, the Father sends the Spirit, the Father points to the Son, and then the Son points to the Father, the Spirit points to the Son, and no one is saying, look at me. Not one person in the, city, in, in the trinity goes, look at me. No, they're all saying, Look at him. Look at him. Look what he does. Move with him. Flow with him. Imagine if we were to move and flow like that because we are the image of God. Can you, can you really wrap your mind around the fact that God calls us his body? That means we are attached to him. That means how he thinks is how we act. How he, you know, thinks is what we do. What, we, what he thinks is how we move. And if this is the mind of Christ, if this is how God operates with himself as a trinity, the body should move that way too. What do you need? Should come out of your mouth more than I need something. How can I help you? Should come out, your, uh, should come out of your mouth more than I need help. And if you're going through something and you feel that you're, you're, you're weighed down by issues of life, Sometimes the best thing for you to do is go to somebody and say, how can I pray for you? 
You see, but the enemy would like for us to focus on our needs and our wants and, and everything that we're going through so that we would never think about blessing somebody else. But the truth is, the moment you start to minister to somebody else, the words that come out of your mouth, guess where they go back into? Your own ears. And, and ministry flows this way. It's designed to work. It's designed to operate well this way. And God is looking to help you move in power, but don't allow the enemy to make you focus on yourself. And so, when we are one with God, we point to him. When we're one with God, we, we, we direct people to him. And we are one with the church, we point to other people and direct people to Jesus. And it's all about people instead of us. In Philippians 2.8, it says, And being found in the appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death unto the cross. And you see, Jesus makes the first move of being one with us. And now it's our turn. It's our turn to say, I'm willing to lay down my life for the brethren, and I'm willing to lay down my life for what God had done for me. Amen. The second thing I'm going to point out today is that when we are one, truly one with God and with the church, we are not alone. Come on. How many people in this place could say, man, I always feel alone? You know the thing that breaks my heart mostly more than anything is when I see people come to church and then they say I'm lonely. When people come to church and they say I'm always alone, I don't have any friends to call me. That breaks my heart. Because if you're not calling them, guess who will? The people in the world, their friends in the world. And, and the saddest thing is when we see people in the world showing more love to people who come to the church than the people they're with in the church. That becomes a problem because now it becomes this confusing thing for, for new people. What happens is they come and they say, well, this is a place of love, a place of joy, a place of fellowship. And then they come in and they only get the fellowship and the love and the, and, and the good stuff here. But when they step out the doors, the only people who ever reach out to them are their old friends. And, and we have to start wrapping our minds around what it actually means to be a unit. You see, when you're a unit, it's not just in the walls. When you're a unit, you're a unit here and you're a unit outside. If you go this way, you're still my brother. If you go that way, we're still family. Amen. And so the word says this, and with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. It, it wasn't upon one or two of them, maybe three. It was upon them all. When you are one, God is going to pour out his presence on all. Watch what it says before he was with them all. It says this, and with great what? Power. They were moving. And God is not looking to leave you alone. God's abundant grace was upon them all, so God's desire is not to leave you alone. God's desire is not to put you in the fire and say, you're doing this alone. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went into the fire, God did not leave them alone. When David went into the lion's, king, uh, lion's den, God did not leave him alone. God will be there as long as you're there in your heart. Amen. As long as you're calling out to him, he will be there for you. And loneliness, if you think about it, comes in two forms. Number one, loneliness comes when you feel like you need no one. 
But the second one is that loneliness comes when you feel like no one needs you. And whether it's one or the other, it's a feeling of loneliness that you can't wrap your mind around because the church is supposed to be there for you. But you're like, well, I, you know, I don't feel like I need them. And you, you isolate yourself. And you want to call out to the church, but you say, I don't feel like they need me. And so you isolate yourself. Well, either one is dangerous when you're trying to be a part of this unit. But I'm here to tell you that if you feel like no one needs you, that's an enemy talking to you. If you feel like you need no one, that's absolutely the enemy talking to you. But the truth is if God wanted you to be alone on this earth, he would have created you alone. In fact, when God created everything, he said everything was good. And the only thing he said that was not good is that man is alone. And so God does not want you to be alone, but he wants you all to be one. Think about this, this, the way he designed things in the garden. After he said, it's not good for man to be alone, and he created man, male and female, he created he, them. And then he separated them and made them two, male and female. And then he says, now I want you to get together and be one. And so the enemy was like, hmm, I don't like this because I was going to talk to him while he was one alone. But now there are two of them. What if I say something and this one says, mm, that ain't right? What if I say something to him and that one says, mm, that ain't right? Because now this oneness, this one mind, you help each other out. You ever wonder why the enemy never talked to Eve by herself? I mean, never talked to Eve while she was with Adam? We'll get there. All right, y'all ain't ready. Y'all ain't ready. Why do you think the enemy wants to do this? He wants to, he wants to split things up. He, doesn't, he spoke to Eve in the garden, but he waited till she was. Somebody got it. He, he waited till she was alone by herself. And that's where he wants you. He wants you alone. Because that's where he can easily influence you. And when, when, if, if Adam and Eve were together at that time, Adam, who was actually used to talking to animals because he was naming them all the time, including that snake, Adam would have been like, I know you, and you're a liar. Don't touch the fruit, put it away. And Eve would have walked away, and we would all have been in paradise right now. But, but God split them up so that they would help each other, but he waited till she was Alone, And why do you think the enemy wants, you, um, wants to split up your marriage um, right now? Because there's too much power in togetherness. Why do you think he wants to split up the church? There's too much power in oneness. And it doesn't stop there. It goes all the way down to the intricate pieces of the church. It doesn't go just, you know, for the church. It's, it's down to the most Little detail, when you're, when you're on a worship team or when you're on a cleanup team or when you're here, when you're there, putting your work in different departments of the ministry, if there is a little bit of division in that piece, the enemy just steps in and goes, good, 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 let's, let's, let's have a conversation. And then he starts to speak to you, and all the thoughts he puts in your mind you think are yours, 
We, 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 that's our pride, too. It's like, ooh, that was a good idea. No, it was the, the enemy, right? And, and he starts to speak to you, and he starts to move you. And the, the more he speaks to you, is the further and further you start to move away from the unit because he knows there's power in unity. And so if he can divide, he can begin to, to separate until he destroys everything that we have. And here's the deal. It's the same reason that God split up the people in the Tower of Babel. Because when I'm talking about this unity thing, I'm not talking about just because God's in it. Let me tell you something. If God is not in it, he designed us to have power and unity. You see, at the Tower of Babel, God was not in it. In fact, they were gathering together as one people with one language, doing one thing with one plan, building one building with one plan. And what did God say? He looked down and he said, ooh, if they continue to do this, there is nothing that they'll be able to do. Because God understands there is power in unity. There is power in oneness. And they were doing this to defy God. And so what God did is that he divided the language and made them split in different ways. They couldn't understand each other because they couldn't be united. And so you might be wondering why as you become a Christian, you start to lose money. Your bank account starts to deplete. You go, man, I, I just gave it all to God. But no, God's trying to separate you from something that you were one with. You might be wondering why all your friends treat you different when you became a Christian. is because God is trying to divide that language that you used to speak so that you can come into this unit and speak a different kind of language. And, and that's the idea. God is trying to remove the power out of the world and draw people into his kingdom where the power actually belongs. And so when you see this concept, I hope you get in this. Because this is something that really creates a move like, like the, the, the early church. If we truly loved each other and, and, and are with each other, it creates this, this, this excitement. And it creates this power that Jesus said that even the gates of hell will not prevail against. It's called the church. And so, some people confuse the idea of, of being lonely with actually being alone or being by yourself. The truth is, you can feel lonely and be with a group of people, right? You can have a feeling of loneliness in a crowd. What's the difference? Your body's there, but your mind is not. And whatever your mind is on is what you are one with. That's why you could be lonely in a crowd. In fact, some people in this place today, if you can be honest with yourself, um, you're here in body, but in mind, you're somewhere else. And the truth is, whatever your mind, wherever your mind is, that's what you're giving power to. Come on. Like, what are you thinking about right now? What's overwhelming you right now? What seems to not be able to release from, from your thinking, your thoughts. Is it anxiety? Is it a loss? Is, is, it, is, it, is it fear? Is it, is it your bank account? What is that very thing that you're always constantly thinking that, that, that can't escape you, that you constantly have to think about, that you can't be one in here? See, whatever that thing is, is what rules over you. Because whatever you give thought to, is what you give power to. Have you ever thought about how deep thought actually is? I, I always call thought a sixth sense. 
Because I, I was confused by when I hear, you know, you can hear, smell, see, touch, and taste, and it just stops there. I mean, if that's all I am, then I should just be like a robot, right? But there's this thing called a will, that God himself, a gift that he'd given to you, and it's a will, it's a will to think, to make decisions, to act, to move, to stop, to go, right? And also to think on. You, you know, you know, like, wow, this is powerful. Let me give you a secret. God thinks. You hear me? God thinks. And when, when he created the universe, you know where that came from? A thought. When, when he created you, come on, I'm not even, I'm going to say it deeper. When he created, and I'm not going to say you, I'm going to say, when he created DNA, the most complicated thing, when he created cells and, and the stars and everything, it all came from, come on, thought. And, and you know, he said, I created you in my image and in my what? Likeness. That means you can think. And, and if his thoughts have power to move, guess what your thoughts have power to do? Man. How did we create this building? Who, who, who made this? And what were they thinking when they created this? You know, they thought to themselves, man, I think I can put these bricks together and create something big. And they did it. And here's the deal. Your thoughts have power. And that's why whenever someone says, brother, could you pray for me? Could you remember me in prayer? Because they say that because the Bible tells us to pray for one another. And when you pray for each other, what are you doing? You're thinking about the person which creates this something, this oneness in the atmosphere that I'm connected with this brother or sister. And I'm able to pray and, and heal through that very act of thinking. Oh, man, it's a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing. Like God's given us a gift. And the enemy told us that this gift is not that important. The enemy said, well, you, you have a powerful gift. It's, it's a gift of thinking. I mean, you, you, you can be creative. And, and he says, you know, you, you know what you, you could do with this gift of thinking? Um, create this, this real cool song called Shake Your Booty. Right? <laughs> that's kind of funny. You know what you could do with this gift? Um, start drawing this thing that, that's demonic, right? And, and people will love it. You know what you could do with this gift? Start, start doing this and doing that and putting thought into this and consuming yourself with that. You know what you could do with this gift of thoughts? Think on your worry. Think on your fear. Think on who betrayed you. Think on the friend you don't like. Think on that relationship that's broken that you never want to get back into. And that destroys oneness. Man, I'm telling you, the most powerful thing is thought. When, 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 when the enemy came to Eve, he said, he said um, think about this for a second. You ain't going to die if you eat the fruit. Think about this for a second. If you eat the fruit, you're going to be just like God, and he doesn't want that. She goes, huh, I never really thought about that. And that thought brings you into a, this, this rotating domino effect that leads you into death. And so God said through Jeremiah... I know the plans I have for you, Israel. Plans to prosper you and give you a future. And this was spoken to exiles, people who were broken, lost. Right? And although they turned from God, God was like, I still have a plan for you. I still have something for you. I want you to prosper in all you do. 
and he gave him instruction to grow together. Do you know what God told him after that very popular verse? He said, go into that land and connect with the people who were oppressing you. Become one with them, in fact. Have babies. Thrive. And he said, the more you make them prosper, because you're in that land, you will prosper too. So God used a broken situation to bless his people. How? By telling them, become one with a group of people. Because you will rub off on them more than they will rub off on you. And how much more does God want you to have a future? How much more does God have a plan for you? That in that future, you are not alone, but you are one. One with him and one with his people. Amen. Last thing as I close right here. When we are one, we are not in need. Come on. So when you are one, you are not your own. When you are one, you are not alone. And when you are one, you are not in need. The word says here, for there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet. And they would be distributed to each as they had need. Whew. Man, that's a beautiful picture. They would distribute them to each as they had need. So they were going around going, who has a need in this place? Who, who can we bless today? You know, I just came from work. I'm tired and I, I made a lot of money. Who can, who can I bless today? I, I just want to find the broken. I want to help you. I, I want to find the needy. Do you, do you have kids who are hurting? Is your son in jail? Who can we help you? What can we do for you? And, and today, if we can be honest, it's hard to get a Christian brother to help you move. You ever make that phone call? Hey, bro, what you doing today? It's like, um, I'm, not, I'm not exactly sure. What's going on? What's up? That's his way of saying it depends, right? And so when you tell him, well, we're thinking about going to play, you know, whatever. Let's go play pool, man. He's like, oh, yeah, sure, for sure, I'm, I'm free. But if, that's, if that was like, hey, I'm moving tonight at 7 o'clock. Can you come and help me? Ooh, you know me and Jenny, um, we had this thing. You know, how, you know how ladies are, you know. And they'll say that to you. And it's hard to get them to lay down their lives for their friends. But you know what Jesus said? Greater love knows no man than this, that one should lay down his life for his friends. And, and this is the idea that the church had in rotation. That yes, Jesus meant ultimately lay down your life and die for your friends. But here's the thing. It doesn't start there. It starts by giving up your time. It starts by putting your thoughts towards people that you say you love. It starts by um, moving your agenda aside for other people to enter into your space, right? And it starts by that. And we need to understand that what we do may affect people a little bit. But here's the deal. But when you come into agreement with what I do, it sets a precedence for change. Let me say that again. What you do may affect me. But when I come in agreement with what you do, it sets a precedence for change in the entire atmosphere. I want to explain this to you for a second. If you decide Jamil did something to me, and I hate Jamil now, I'm not friends with him. That would change maybe our relationship a little bit. 
maybe a little bit. But the moment I come in agreement with how you feel and I say, well, you don't like me, then I don't like you too. I don't like you either. This sets up a precedence for change in the atmosphere. How do I know this? Let's go back to the garden again. When, when Eve was alone and the enemy said, eat this fruit. And she said, okay, took it. She took one bite. <sighs> what happened? What happened? Her eyes were opened. That's not what my Bible says. My Bible says nothing happened. But then when she, her husband, he came into agreement. Because God wasn't saying that you're alone. You weren't meant to be alone. You made a mistake, Eve. I can forgive that. But if you all come into agreement, it sets a precedence for the atmosphere and everything in your life to change. God is saying, this is the problem. And this is the seed that the enemy plants in the church all the time. He creates division by putting a seed here. And the moment, this is powerful for you. Because this is why Jesus preached this all the time where he said, love your enemy with him. Love your enemy, don't come in agreement with that hate because it will change what I'm trying to do. It will suck the power out of this movement. And so he says, if they slap you on the cheek, turn the other one. If they take the cloak from you, give them your... If he, if he steals from you, give him something else. Don't buy in to what the enemy is doing, especially with the people who are in the church with you. If the enemy hates you, if the, if the person next to you hates you, say, I'm never going to hate you because we are brothers and sisters. Guys, I have three brothers and one sister. And at any given time, we used to argue, fight, and bicker and beef over any little thing. But here's, here's the one thing. What we did never overcame who we were. You see, I could, I could fight you today, but it doesn't change that you're my brother. And we have to get over it. I, I could, you could take from me today, I'm not going to buy into this, to this back and forth because it'll suck the power out of what God is trying to do in our lives. And so I'm going to ignore what you're trying to do. And instead of hating you back, I'm going to love you with all I got. And because what that's going to do is going to take the power away from the enemy. Man, I, I got to tell you, it's just, God gave it to me. And I hope you're receiving it today. Because this will set you free and it will bring power back to the church. And I'm closing right here, I promise. What's more important, guys, God calls us to, to be one. And there's power in that. But here's the crazy part. That's the tiniest bit of power that we can have. It's powerful, but it's the tiniest bit of power. But God is saying he wants us to be one. But what's even more important than being one is being in one. What I'm talking about is being in Christ Jesus. Why? Because before Jesus went upon a cross, you know what he prayed? He said, Father, I pray that they are one as you and I are one. 
And then he says, Father, I pray that they are in me as I am in you. He's saying it's important to be one like we are one. But you know what's even more important than that is that I pray that they are in one, Jesus, like I am in the Father. And today I'm telling you, when we are one, we are not our own. When we are one, we are not alone. And when we are one, come on, we are not in need. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The River YA. All of our links to keep in touch are down below. We hope this blessed you and we'll see you next time at The River. Come find life.